You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. As we start this lesson tonight, uh, it's important to note that that Paul kind of somewhat ended um, his teaching on salvation, justification, glorification, all those wonderful things in chapter 8. And he kind of switches topics in chapters 9 through 11. He, he turns his attention towards the Jewish people. Um, and it's important for us as Gentiles to understand how uh, we're Gentiles, we're non-Jews, how the Jews would be viewing all of these things that Paul was teaching, to understand the culture and the way of life that, that they were living for the last couple thousand years, um, and their relationship with the Gentiles. They didn't really like the Gentiles, and the Gentiles didn't really like them. Uh, but these chapters... Um, are also, I think sometimes you can look at it and go, well, he was talking to the Jews. Well, it's still helpful for us because what was going on with the Jews is like their entire paradigm was having to be shifted. The way they had done things for the last 2,000 years was having, uh, was having to change. But it's, a, it's important for us, there's things that we can glean from this because it's easy for us to fall into religion. It's easy for us to fall into legalism. It's easy for us to fall into a system uh, that, that Christ did away with. And so it's important for us to study these things and see these things. Um, and, you know, to not judge unbelievers, uh, not to judge them based on the standard that we're called to live, and, and really be welcoming to them and not saying like, okay, get your act cleaned up and then you can come in. Because that's not the way that God treated us at all. We can all say that God saved me at my worst. And then, and, and as I got saved, and as he changed me from the inside, then the outside began to change. And so we've got to be really careful and understand that it was God's grace and mercy and kindness that came and changed our hearts long before it changed our, our behavior. So we, we have got to know that. But the, the Jews were being asked to accept a lot here. No more sacrifices, no more law, no more temple, no more priest, no more systems. And that's what they've been doing for generations. And they're just supposed to stop all of that and accept Jesus as the Messiah. And, and then also these evil, lawless, horrible Gentiles are just welcome in and they don't got to do nothing that my family's done for the last, last thousand generations. Um, <laughs> most of what they believed was being turned completely upside down. And so that's why Paul is having to address them here. The way they knew God, related to God, worship God was all changing. And so in chapter 10, Paul's talking to the Jewish believers and he's addressing mainly two things with them. Number one, he's addressing the great difference between the righteousness of the law and righteousness by faith. And not only showing the great difference, but how much better righteousness by faith is than righteousness by the law is, and we'll get into why. And then he's also trying to show them now there is no difference. If you're in the family of God, there's now no difference than Jew or Gentile. So let's read here. Uh, Starting in verse 1 of chapter 10, let's read through verse 4. He says, dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself, refusing to accept God's way. They cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. And he starts, he starts chapter 10 here, just like he started chapter nine is his longing, his great desire for his fellow Jews to be saved. 
And again, I ask this week, do we long for our families, for our communities, for our coworkers, for our friends to be saved? So just like Paul did, that we, that we continually pray to them, that we continually reach out to them. Paul, again, is expressing the very heart of God that all people would come to know him. That, that it's Second Peter 3, 9, that it's not God's will that any should perish. That's why he's patient and he's kind. Do we have that heart's desire? Do we have that longing? Do we pray from this place here? I, and I, Paul's so genuine here. And I think it's easy for to say like, oh, yeah, like I care about lost people. But then never pray for lost people, never hurt for lost people, never mourn for anybody that's lost, never reach out to anybody that's lost and just think, well, you know, they know. No, that's, that's not it. And, and as someone who, if we want to have the heart of God, like we've got to get into that place. And even if there's not a want to, there should be a want to want to. Like, Lord, put that desire in me. Put that desire in me and, and, and always go back to like, you were once far away. And somebody shared the gospel with you. And so we've got, we've got to know, like, and, and he'll go into this more, but we've got, we've got to have a heart for lost people just like Paul has a heart for his Jewish brothers and sisters here. Um, in verse 2, he actually, he commends the unbelieving Jews. He's saying, like, they've got great zeal for God. But then he says, but it's not according to knowledge. And so, like, they're passionate. They believe in God. They want God, they know, they, they know a lot about him, but they don't know the truth about the gospel. They don't know the truth about Jesus. And I, I, and I will say this, zeal without knowledge is dangerous. And you see a lot of that in our country right now. You see a lot of zeal, you see a lot of passion, but you don't see a lot of knowledge. That's why our cities are on fire right now. So <laughs> zeal without knowledge is very dangerous. Now he's not saying zeal is a bad thing. He's actually commending, he like, He's like looking for something in his fellow Jews. He's bragging on their zeal. He's just saying it's misdirected. It's not according to knowledge. And so zeal is not a bad thing. We should have great zeal and great passion for God, but it has to be paired with knowing Jesus. Ephesians 1.17, Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better or that you may have knowledge of Jesus Christ is what some translations say. And so it's got to be knowledge about God paired with Jesus, paired with the gospel. There are a lot, and there's lots of people that have great zeal for God, but I would say aren't saved. And I could go down the line and list probably a few um, false religions. Mormons are very zealous. Jehovah Witnesses are very zealous. You could even say Muslims are very zealous. Now, I'd say that their paradigm about God is completely different than ours, but they're, they're very zealous. But, but the common thing about all those religions, it's very works-based, very law, very I've got to do these things in order to get to God. And, and, and what they're doing is they're presenting their filthy rags to God. That is what Isaiah would say they're doing. They're trying to be righteous by their own works, but not the work of Jesus. So we've got to be zealous for God, but it's got to be paired with knowledge. And I, I just want to address millennials and Gen Z's in the room. And I can because I'm a millennial. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to talk to us real quick. Millennials, Gen Z's, good theology is important. It is important. Knowing the Bible is important. 
And I, and I feel like if you're like 40 and under, like it's just like, okay, yeah, like I, we assume that we know that stuff, but many times we don't live like we know this stuff. And we've got to know scripture. And again, I'm picking on my own generation. So worship is awesome. Worship is great. We can, I could stand in here and I could sing songs to God all day long. But do you know what else is important? Teaching of the word. Understanding the word. And, and, and so we, Gen Z millennials, like we can't just, it can't be all about our feelings and like, oh, you know, the lights are down and the music's good and I'm getting that vibe and it feels really awesome. Okay, that's great. But it's got to be paired with good theology. <laughs> okay, or you're just, it's, it can head to a disaster. We've got to grow in our knowledge of scripture and of who God is. And then in verse three, Paul answers the question, okay, why is it misdirected? How is it without knowledge? He says, because it's, they, don't, they don't understand and they don't accept God's way of making people right with himself. They're passionate about the law. They're passionate about the old system. But, but he's trying to show them, Paul, or Paul's trying to show them God has brought in a new way, a way of grace, of ma- a way of being made right by faith, not by perfected obedience. And they are hanging on to this legalist system and man, I'm probably going to pick on Gen Zs and millennials again, but it just needs to happen. Um, <laughs> uh, let me say, uh, say this, because I, I think a lot of times we have misconceptions about this, but legalism is not, legalism is not holding people to a moral standard. We are still called as believers to hold one another to a moral standard. That's not legalism. Leonard Ravenhill said that people cop out of church, they call, they call things legalism that they don't like. That's not, we're actually called to hold each other accountable. What legalism is, is legalism is telling people, hey, you've got to do this, this, and this to be saved. You've got to do A and B and C and one, two, three, if you want God to love you and accept you. That's what legalism is. Or it's adding a bunch of rules, like the Pharisees added a lot of things that weren't even in the original law. They were trying to make people look a certain way instead of going after their character, instead of going after their heart, instead of going after who they were in secret. They were just trying to make people look nice and look pretty and look like, look, it's, it's what we call a lot of times religion. And I, I heard a funny example. Religion is like, um, religion is like an Instagram filter or a Snapchat filter. I don't know if y'all know what those are or not, but like they... I, it's silly, but like you see these filters and it like makes these girls' eyes look like way bigger than they actually are. You're like, whoa, like that's kind of trippy. Or like they make, they, they, here's what they do. This is what I mean by an Instagram filter and how, what religion is, is it makes you look better than you actually do. It makes you look pretty when you're actually ugly. So, but, but that's what, that's what religion does, right? It, it makes us look a certain way, but when you turn that filter off, when, you're, when, you, when you take that phone down, you don't look like that no more. And that's what religion is. It's like this mask that makes us look good, but you take that off, and we're actually, what Jesus said about the Pharisees, we're full of death. <clears throat> um, <laughs> where was I? Y'all got me distracted with Instagram. Okay. Holiness. <laughs> holiness is key, though. Holiness, like, now that we're saved, holiness is a good thing. Like, we are called, as believers, to behave a certain way. It's John 15. Jesus said it. If you love me, you're going to obey me. It's not all like super popular in this, you know, this day and age that we live in. 
Um, <laughs> Matthew, I'm just going to read this. Don't turn there for sake of time. But Matthew 23, 23, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You, this is the part we leave off. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So Jesus didn't say not to do those things, but he's saying you neglected the more important things. He's not saying don't tithe those things. Like, and that, that's awesome. That's like a love for God of like, I'm going to tithe every little bit that I get. I'm going to give all of this because I love the Lord. But what the Pharisees are doing is they were doing, they were doing those things to look good to people. Not necessarily those things were inherent of themselves, but their motives were evil. And they were neglecting justice, mercy, and faithfulness. There are parts of the law that are more important than others. When they came to Jesus and said, what's the most important commandment? He said, love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. There are parts of the law that are more important than others. But Jesus Jesus did not come to do away with the law. And seemingly Jesus... (laughs) Just take this to heart, go home and pray about it. Jesus seemingly got onto the Pharisees because the Pharisees weren't strict enough. I mean, it's, it's the Sermon on the Mount. And that's like, I know that's, you know, throwing off like the, my grace people in the room, they're going, ah! like, no, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, don't say that. <laughs> Matthew 5. This is Jesus talking. This is red letters. This isn't me. So if you want to get mad at somebody, you get mad at Jesus, okay? Matthew 17, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, which is never. (laughs) Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly to, will be called the least in the kingdom. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And everybody that heard that would have been like, uh, dang, because those guys are like, they're varsity, man, and we're not getting off the bench. Like those guys, those guys seemingly have it all together. And then Jesus goes into addressing the heart, not necessarily the outward behavior. He goes into and says, you've heard it. Don't, don't sleep with another man's wife. But I tell you that if you look on a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. What about grace, Jesus? (laughs) He says that you've heard it. Don't murder. But I say, if you're angry with your heart against your brother, you're guilty of it. It's Jesus. It's not me. He's taking it up. He's taking it up a notch. What he's doing is he's going after people's heart because he knows if he can change people's hearts, then it will change. Then it will change the outside. He tells the, he tells the Pharisees, you're worried about the outside of the cup, but if you'll clean the inside, the outside will be clean. Some of y'all looking at me like, I hate you. It's okay. Now I'm not in it for the popularity. <laughs> The Lord said, the Lord called his people and he said, be holy as I am holy. He says, be holy, don't be good. Be holy, be set apart, be like me. 
And, it, and listen, it's way beyond anything that we could do ourselves. That's, that's the good news. It's like, yes, like Jesus seemed to take it up like to notch 100, but he, he wasn't saying that you're going to do this on your own. <laughs> he wasn't saying you were going to do this on your own. That's why he went to the cross. He lived it out perfectly because we couldn't. And then he rose again, and then he went to heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of you. And if you notice the Holy Spirit, his first name is Holy. The Holy Spirit is there to, guess what, to help you live holy. We are not called to look like the world. And if, and if you think that that's okay, you have not read this. Read, we have to read the Bible. Okay, we got to move on. <laughs> in in uh, verse four, where were we? Verse four. Um, for Christ already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him will be made right with him. Um, so they missed the whole point of the law. The point of the law is to show your sinfulness. The law was a mirror. It was to show how sinful we were and how we could not get right without him. The law was to point us to Christ. Christ was the one that lived the perfect life. He lived in perfect obedience and also gave his life as the final sacrifice. That is Hebrew summed up in one sentence. Um, Christ, what Christ is, is he is the end of the law for righteousness. He's not the end of the law, period. He's the end of the law for righteousness. He didn't do away with it. He fulfilled it. What Jesus was is he was the end of striving to be right with God. He came to make us righteous that the Holy Spirit could live in us and eternalize his moral law. Has ceremonial law been done away with? Yes. He was the ceremony. He was the final sacrifice. It would actually be sacrilegious now for me to sacrifice a goat to cover my sins. Because that would say that the blood of Christ wasn't enough. But the, the blood of Christ was more than enough. It was more than enough, and he washed me clean, gave me his righteousness forever, period. I'm righteous in his sight. And when you get a revelation of that goodness, do you know what you start doing? You start living holy. You start going, what? I want to obey him. I want to do what he's called me to do. Because that great love that he showed for me, that goodness, that kindness, that grace empowers me to righteous living. And he, but he did not in any way come to do away with the moral law. He just came to empower us with his grace to walk it out, to live it out. It's not normal for Christians to live in a sinful lifestyle. It's not normal. First John says, if you sin, not when you sin. He says, if you sin, there's an advocate. There's forgiveness. But right there, John is making it clear, like, don't walk around, live like you're going to sin every day. But sometimes I think we just look at ourselves like we're just dirty, wretched sinners and whatever. Well, thank God for his grace. I can just live however I want to. And that is not what the New Testament is about in any way. I'm sorry if you've been told that, but that's wrong. God bless you. Okay. And I think it's hard for us. I think that we've been so inundated with this, this perverted grace message that it's like seemingly like we can live however we want and get away with it. But we already looked in Romans. Yes, the grace of God will get you to a place where you go, can I keep on sinning then? If he's going to continue to see me the same way? And then Paul says, 
Of course not. Of course not. You're supposed to be holy. You're supposed to, Paul's saying, don't be, don't continue to be a slave to sin. Be a slave to Christ. Okay, we got to move on. Y'all are holding me up. Okay, we got to fly through the rest of this. Verses five through eight. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth and don't say who will go down to the place of dead to bring Christ back to life. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. Right here, verse five, he's simply showing us that if you, if you want to be saved by the law, you're gonna have to obey it perfectly. But again, the law was meant to just shadow Christ, pointing ahead to him. <clears throat> the law points towards our need for a savior. It shows us our sin, shows us that we can't get it right on our own. And then in verses six through eight, he's simply quoting uh, Moses talking in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He's saying that, that just like God gave the law, now God's giving something better. He's giving us the Messiah. He's giving us Jesus. And so verse six, he's saying, you don't have to go to heaven and get Christ. You don't have to go to under the earth and get him out of the grave that he's saying, you don't have to work for it. It's already been given. You don't have to. And then he says, the word is near you and it's in you. Just as God provided the law and we failed, he's now provided the gospel, which praise the Lord is not based on our performance. It's near and it's close. He's saying it's right here. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. It's not something that you have to go up and work for. You don't have to climb a mountain to get it. You don't have to do all these things to get it. It's here. And then he's going to go into verse 9 and show us how near it is. And that message is the very message about faith in which we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is awesome. He just preached the gospel in those four verses. He just preached the gospel to the Jews and he brings it all together here and he makes it very simple. He makes it very simple. Even though it is complex, he makes it simple for us. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you're saved. It's that easy. It's that easy. Now, it's not, it's not a simple like repeat a prayer and you're going to heaven forever. No, it's you believe it where? In your heart, not in your mind. In your heart, because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so it's not, it, what Paul's saying is it's not just an intellectual agreement that Jesus is real. It's that I believe in my heart that he is now my Lord, that he's now my king, that he's now in charge of my life, and then I publicly confess it with my mouth. I say it out of my mouth, and now I'm saved. That's awesome. <laughs> it, it, it's a lot more than repeating a prayer. It can definitely can start with a prayer, but it's really the Holy Spirit that comes and convicts our hearts, opens our eyes, and completely convinces us that Jesus is the Son of God and believing that he was raised from the dead. Verse 11, he's just basically saying, it's for everybody. It's not just for the Jews and not just for the Gentiles. It's for everybody. And then verse 12, Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. And here's, here's one thing that we have to know as a Gentile. Sometimes I, I, I have kind of used to view myself this way, but Jews and Gentiles, like spiritually, we're the same. 
We're the same. We've been grafted in. It's, I used to look at it as like, okay, like, well, the Jews were God's favorites and like us Gentiles were over like in the corner, just like lucky to be in the room. <laughs> but that's not the way that it is. We have been adopted and it's more than human adoption. It's greater than a human adoption. And anybody who's adopted a kid or fostered a kid like loves that kid as their own and that's the way that God loves us, but it's greater than that. My DNA is now the DNA of Christ. My blood has now been completely changed in his family. It's a miraculous, supernatural thing that I don't have time to play out right here, but you've got to know, like, you're not off in the corner and the Jews are the favorite. We're all the favorite. We're all in the family. God just chose to use the Jews to bring about the Messiah. But now we've been grafted in. We're no different than a Jew when it comes in, when it comes in spiritual speaking. And then verse 13, <laughs> Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I don't know what Calvinists do with that verse where it says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but that's, go listen to chapter 9 from last week. Um, that's not just a little prayer. Well, Jesus, well, now I'm saved. No, it's like a desperate crying out, like, Lord, I'm drowning and I need you. Like, where you realize, like, man, my house is on fire and I need, to, I need him to pull me out. Like, I can't get out of this on my own. It's like, a, 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 like Lord, you're my savior. Like, I need, I need you to save me. It's like a genuine at a heart level of, like, I'm calling out to him. It's not just a, Lord, thank you so much. Please don't let me go to hell. It's a, Lord, I need you to save me from myself. I need you, Jesus. That's what, that, it's, it's a kid. It, you, ever seen, you ever seen a little kid afraid of something running to their dad? That's verse 13. We run desperately to him because he's the only one that can save us. Okay, we got to move on. I thought that was a good point, but they look at me like, okay, move on. All right. Tough crowd. I'm just kidding. Verse verse 14. But how can they call upon him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. Lots of questions here and they're rhetorical. They're not like Paul's like he's asking and it's like, duh. It's not like he's going to answer these. He's like saying like, how can they call on him? to be saved unless they believe in him. If you don't believe he's the son of God, you're not going to call upon him. And you, how can you believe if you never even heard about him? He, he's stressing here, like, we got to tell everybody about this, guys. <laughs> like, we got to let the whole world know. It's not, and, and he's not saying pastors and evangelists do this. This is a command to everybody. This isn't like, well, you know, the evangelist will do it for me or the pastor will do it for me. No, this is everybody sharing the good news. And I'm just going to challenge us just a little bit. Don't mean it negative, but I, I just want to challenge you. If we don't share the good news, do we actually believe it? Salah. Just think about it. <laughs> These verses should challenge us. How can they know unless it's shared? How can our coworkers, families, friends, strangers know the gospel unless we share it? We, and listen, we've got to move back past being nice. Well, I'll just be nice and kind to people. We have to open our mouth. We have to speak these things. Now, I, do I believe that we can care? I, I'm, I'm charismatic, man. I believe that we can carry God's presence to a degree 
that you walk into a room and the atmosphere of the room can change because you're there. Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is on the inside of you. I believe that we can bring the goodness of God just by being in the room. I've had, I've had those things happen. I remember being at McDonald's drive-thru one time and I, I was just order, I was trying to get a quarter pounder, man. And this woman breaks down crying. And I'm like, she's like, I don't know why I'm crying. I don't know what. I, and she starts telling me, I never met this lady. She starts telling me her whole life story. And I'm like, what is going on? And the Holy Spirit said, it's because you're there. And so I grabbed that lady's hand in the drive-thru and I prayed over her and she encountered God in that moment and I didn't have to open my mouth. I believe that those things could happen and I believe that we should seek those things out. But we still have got to open our mouth about this Jesus that we know everywhere that we go. And that's why he says, how beautiful are the feet. Now, feet aren't beautiful. Feet are gross. But how, he's saying, how beautiful, right? Oh, people don't like feet. They're kind of nasty. How beautiful are the feet. He's saying how beautiful, how amazing it is that people bring the gospel to other people, Right? And listen, it's easy to not do it face-to-face because we got this right here, right? It's not how beautiful are the thumbs. <laughs> it's, how, it's how beautiful are the feet. And so we've got to have face-to-face encounters with people. We've got to shine this light everywhere that go. It's more than just modeling a Christian lifestyle. It's, it's giving the what, how, and who of the gospel. I will say this, modeling is important, but we also have to speak. It is a life lived but it's also a message declared. It's both. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the quote that says, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. It's necessary. It should say, preach the gospel at all times, use words. <laughs> it's, yes, with your words. A life lived and with words. It's both. And if it's not both, I would challenge us that we might be a little bit hypocritical. I'm sorry. Okay. All right, let's finish out the chapter. Uh, uh, Paul is going to basically address the Jews. They're going to have a question. They're going to have an objection. And they're going to say, why doesn't everybody believe then? Verse 16, but not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. But I ask, have the people of Israel actually heard the message? Yes, they have. The message has gone throughout the earth and the words to all the world. But I ask, did the people of Israel really understand? Yes, they did. For even in the time of Moses, God said, I will rouse your jealousy through people who are not even a nation. I will provoke your anger through the foolish, the foolish Gentiles. <laughs> That's like a shot at us. Like, oh man. I will, and later Isaiah spoke boldly for God saying, I was found by people who weren't even looking for me. I showed myself to those who were not even asking for me. But regarding Israel, God said, all day long I opened my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. Paul is showing the Jews once again, hey, are you going to preach this good news? But Not everybody's going to believe it. And in verse 9, he broke it down like, why, why aren't, aren't all Jews saved? He was, he was showing people are going to harden their hearts. People are going to hang on to their sin. And so while we preach this good news, while we proclaim this good news, while it's a life lived, you can't get mad and discouraged because people don't believe it. And I see that happen so many times where people were like, they were real fired up for two weeks. And then, you know, just the constant uh, uh, rejection from their family, from their coworkers, from whatever. And they get real discouraged and they go, well, you know what? Maybe this isn't actually, if I'm the only one. And Paul's saying, don't, you don't be discouraged. People are going to hang on to their sin. People have a hard time laying down their whole life for Jesus. Jesus said, narrow is the way, few there are who find it. Many are called, few are chosen. And verse 17 is classic. I mean, I could do a whole sermon on verse 17, but I'm out of time. Y'all held me up. 
Verse 17, faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. People can't have faith if they don't hear it. They, can't, they, don't, they won't have faith in the gospel if they don't hear it. This, this verse for our own lives, we can take it out and say, our faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Your faith can increase and decrease. It's something that you have, but it's something that can be increased. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Now, hearing the word of God, what does that mean? It means hearing the gospel. It means hearing scripture. It means hearing preaching. All of those things are great. All of those things build our faith. All of those things help our faith grow. But I will say our faith grows exponentially by hearing words from the very mouth of God. Because what this word is here is rhema. Faith comes by hearing the spoken word of God. Now, I, God doesn't, all, the heavens don't open up and he audibly speaks. That doesn't happen very often. I will say, yeah, it probably does. People have heard him audibly, still do hear him audibly, but it doesn't happen a lot. But it's like a strong impression from the Holy Spirit where he speaks to me in the secret place, where he speaks to me in my prayer life and my faith begins to grow. He also speaks through this. If you, like, I, I, I always use the example of like you're reading a scripture and then it's like the Holy Ghost just punches you in the face with one. That's God speaking. That's him talking to us. And it, it, if you, it, my answer to anybody who says God doesn't talk to me, God doesn't speak to me, what, what I tell them is read the word until he does. Yeah. Read the word until he does. Sit down with your Bible and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me through this. And continue to read it day after day after day after day. And he'll start talking to you. He'll start talking to you. And I want to give a warning. Whenever you get revelation, whenever you get word from God, whenever you feel like God is speaking to you, this is your plumb line. God can definitely speak, and he still does, but it will never, it will never contradict this. Never, ever, ever. Okay. <laughs> That's just something we need to know. <clears throat> now, so do you want more faith? Then you need to pray more. Then you need to listen more. Then you need to read your Bible more. Then we need, to, we need to be in church. We need to hear the preaching and the teaching of the word. We need to get these things in us. When you're driving down the road, put that audio Bible on. Like we got to get it. We have to get it in us. And I promise if you'll go after the word of God, your faith will grow. It just naturally happens. Okay, to end here tonight, I know it's eight o'clock, but we're gonna, we're gonna end this chapter. Um, Paul asked three questions concerning the Jews. He says, have they already heard? And he answers, yes, they have, the message has gone throughout the earth and, and the words to all the world. He's quoting Psalm 19 and he's saying, creation has announced to the world. Creation has announced to the world. And, and if you go back to Romans 1, where it says that God reveals himself in nature, that no man is without excuse, that we all have general revelation. So people ask me, well, like, what about people, groups who don't hear the gospel or somebody who dies and they didn't hear the gospel? I'll say this, God reveals himself. God reveals himself. If God, listen, if God does not have a man to reveal himself, he will use an angel to reveal himself. He will use nature to reveal himself. The Holy Spirit or Jesus himself will come onto the scene. There are crazy stories that you hear in the Muslim world where people have supernatural encounters with angels in Christ. God will reveal himself to all men. I believe that. <clears throat> um, but the Jews would look at this and say like, well, of course, like the Gentiles would know, like creation has revealed himself. And Paul turns that on them and says, if the Gentiles know, you got no excuse, guys, because the very Messiah was walking around in the nation of Israel, and you saw his miracles, you saw things that he did, you got more revelation than they did, and they still believe. <clears throat> so did they hear? Yeah, they heard. Verse 19, well, 
did they understand what they heard? And he says, yeah, they did. Because back in Deuteronomy 32, Moses prophesied that the, the Israelites would reject, knowingly reject the Messiah. And because they did this, God was going to adopt the Gentiles into his family. And he gives them a reason why. To arouse their jealousy. To arouse their jealousy. I'm going to take this group in, and the group that I chose that rejected me, they're going to get jealous, and it's going to cause them to come back to me. Silly example, but I want to use it. You ever seen a guy dating a really awesome girl, and he does something really dumb, and she breaks up with him, but it's because of the dumb thing that he did? And then she starts dating some other dude, and he gets super jealous, and like wants her back and will do anything to get her back. That's kind of what God's, that's almost like what God's doing. It's like, it's like I'm dating this other girl and you're going to be jealous about it. And you're going to want me back. I know that's silly, but that's just what I thought of. So <clears throat> anyway, so God is, and it's not that like he's using us like as a tool for the, he's just saying like when I welcome them, it's going to cause them to be jealous and they're going to want to come back to me. <clears throat> so did they understand? Paul's saying, yes, they did, but they chose not to follow him. And I love verse 21. All day long, I wait with open arms for them. All day long, I patiently, lovingly waited with open arms, and they have rejected me. And this can be a heavy verse, but we, may, we need to make sure this is not us. Is God waiting with open arms for you to give up something that, that he's called you to give up, something that he's called you to lay down? Is there like a rebellion or, or disobedience or something in your life that you need to lay down. We've got to listen to his voice. We've got to listen to his love. We've got to listen to his correction and his discipline and understand his arms are there to hold us and to help us not to choke us out because we messed up. <laughs> he is patient and he is kind. And the third question is actually found in the beginning of chapter 11. And verse one says, okay, so uh, verse 18, did they hear? Yeah, they heard. Did they understand? Yeah, they understood. Okay, well, if they get all that, why are they still running away? And so they ask, he says here, does that mean that the nation of Israel is rejected by God? And Paul says, of course not. He, he uses himself as an example. Like, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a direct descendant of Abraham. I'm from the very tribe of Benjamin, and I believe in it. I'm proclaiming the gospel, so of course we haven't been rejected forever. And, and this, I want to end with this encouragement here, is that people that we may have shared the gospel with where their hearts may be hard, or someone is hanging on to their sin that they don't want to lay their life down to follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that they're always going to stay in that place doesn't mean that their hearts are always going to be hard. So what do we do? We stand in a place of love with arms open. And we have the heart of the Father and say, whenever you're ready to come home, I'm here. Whenever you're ready to lay that down, I'm here. I want to help you live this out. I want to help you walk this out. God is patient. He is kind. He doesn't give up on anybody, and neither should we. We cannot give up on anybody. We've got to keep preaching this and living this out. Amen? Five minutes over. Not too bad. Y'all stand with me. I told you it was going to be a race. I felt like I was on fast forward that whole time. Just go back and listen to it in like half time. <laughs> Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your loving kindness, for your great mercy and your great grace, Lord. We thank you so much, God, that even though you've called us to live a certain standard, even though you've called us away from sin, you don't leave us to do it on our own. That you empower us with the Holy Spirit to truly live holy and set apart. And right now, I, I just kind of feel the Holy Spirit telling me this right now, is holiness is freedom. It's not heavy. 
this holy standard, this lifestyle that he called us to is actually freedom because we no longer have to be slaves to our sin. We no longer have to be slaves to our flesh. But when we obey him, we are actually walking in the greatest freedom that we can ever experience. God, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would lead, guide, and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.